0: This is I On Foxboro, the premier podcast for all things New England Patriots, brought to you by Mass Live. Welcome back to ION Foxboro, Chris Mason, here with Mark Daniels, Karen Grigian. We are on the couch at our Airbnb in Indianapolis for the NFL Combine new setup. And guys. We actually had a Patriots personnel member speak at the Combine. Pretty wild. I I mean, Karen, I don't know about you. I've
1: covered the team for 10 years. This is my first time going to a Combine where a member of the Patriots organization held an official press conference. New times, new era.
2: Yeah, I don't ever recall. I mean, Belichick made a sort of a cameo showing one year, but he, like, he purposely went last on the last day. And... He basically wanted to talk up a couple of his coaching friends that got fired.
0: Sounds about right. Um,
2: After that, nothing. We've seen nothing here.
0: But with Elliot, I think there was a ton to like glean from his, he did his 15 minutes at the podium and then did a smaller group interview with us after too, and a few other local media members. Um, So we probably got like 25 minutes of Elliot Wolf today. And there was really a lot to like glean. I think the first thing is just, he has final say. We finally know who's going to be making the pick at number three overall.
1: And really, for those who don't know, on Tuesday at the NFL Combine, it's a day where most of the GMs talk. No, no, not everyone talks the Combine, as we just said. But on Tuesday, what we heard a lot from today was other general managers around the NFL. So the fact that Elliot Wolf talked, guys, really, it says to us, hey, Elliot Wolf is sort of the de facto GM. And the fact that he even said he'll be making the pick says that.
2: Yeah. He didn't dodge or shy away from that. Uh, he said when push comes to shove, he'll make the call. And, you know, with making that call comes a lot of pressure. You have the number three pick in the draft. You have a team that's trying to rebound from uh, a and 13 season, you know, expectations aren't high, but expectations from fans are for them to turn it around. And if he makes the wrong call, uh, that won't look that 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 that'll set the Patriots back even further and set him back talk, <laughs> as a GM.
1: You talk about pressure. It's it's the Patriots who have won, you know, six Super Bowl championships. They're coming off a four win season and he has some of the most cap space to work with. And the number three pick like Elliot Wolf has a chance to put his stamp on this team and really play a major role mm-hmm. in this team actually improving and getting better, of course if he makes the wrong moves Chris um that won't be the story of Elliot Wolf
0: him getting things back on track it will not be and one thing that caught my ear immediately was that he said he thinks it's a very good year for the quarterbacks in the draft process which on the one hand like yeah there's three top tier quarterback prospects that could go 1 2 and 3 but on the other hand if you're shopping the number 3 pick it makes sense to keep hyping up the quarterbacks too right if you're trying to trade out of that spot what did you make of his um Just comments about the quarterback class.
1: Yeah, I think that echoes what Daniel Jeremiah told us here on this Ion Foxborough podcast that everyone views this as a very strong quarterback class. And even some of the reporting that came before this week said there are teams who weren't necessarily impressed with next year's draft class. And I think that puts a lot of pressure on a team like the Patriots when, hey, you actually need a franchise quarterback. You could draft one in number three. Of course, theoretically, Karen, you could also trade out of the spots and so many teams are desperate for good quarterbacks.
2: Yeah. And I think it was actually, you know, pretty wise or shrewd of Elliot to kind of keep all the options open, you know, because I asked him point blank, you know, are are you open to trading the pick? And he gave the yeah, all, all the options are on the table and we'll do any of the above. He's not going to, you know, stop that avenue. Uh, in its tracks right now he'll he'll listen to offers uh whether one tips the scales uh we'll have to wait and see um but as i said you keep all your options open just like talking to other gms and asking them if they would they would move up they kind of said the same kind of thing you know we're keeping our options open
0: one of the options that Elliot said he's keeping open too is using the franchise tag, which he has until March fifth to apply if he wants to. And it seemed like in listening to him that he's very, very high on trying to retain Mike Onwenu and Kyle Duggar. Mike specifically, too, he called the cornerstone. He called like one of their core members. So I that caught my ear immediately. And he said, "Yeah, I'm keeping all the options open, and the franchise tag is one where like if you see Elliot Wolf make a move over the next like couple of weeks, it's probably going to be tagging someone." Yeah. So I think initially going into this when
1: we were talking about franchise tag candidates, Karen, my my first thought was Kyle Duggar. That's around 17 million. You're like, all right, he could probably get as a free agent, Kyle Duggar probably gets somewhere between, I don't know, 13, 14 million. So franchising him for 17 million isn't that bad. Whereas Michael Wenu, 21 million is a lot of money for a tackle slash guard. However, hearing Elliot Wolf talk today, I have to say, I'm moving Mike Wenu up. I think if the Patriots franchise someone, it's Michael Wenu.
2: Yeah. Well, I wrote last week that that's who they should <laughs> franchise. And and the reason I came to that conclusion, I mean, it's not a knock on Duggar or anybody else. It's a matter of need. And, you know, if you lose Duggar, I mean, you just drafted uh, Marte Mapu. I mean, there's people in the system. There's people in place. If you lose on Wenu... You're not resigning Trent Brown, you lose two starting tackles. He he was arguably their best uh, tackle from start to finish or when he played tackle. and he's young, he's 28 uh, years old, I just think. and he's gonna get, you know, starting tackles in this market he's going to get above 21 million from some some desperate team. So in that, when I put it in that context and in that light, he's a bargain for the one year at 21 million. If it's going to help your rookie quarterback, you know, not uh, bust a leg or whatever.
1: And I have have some stats for you guys. First six weeks last year, Patriots right tackles allowed five sacks and five quarterback hits. That was with Calvin Anderson and Vidarian Lowe. The next 11 games with Mike Uenu, he allowed three sacks in one quarterback hit. Michael Wenu was a good right tackle. So yeah. I agree with you, Karen. The Patriots franchise tag Mike Uenu if they can't bring him back. Because the worst thing that could happen is you go into free agency needing two starting tackles. And guess what? Mike Uenu is probably the top available. Trent Brown might be two or three. It's not a great class. So really, they need to lock that spot up.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting, too. At the combine, at these podiums, you get kind of like bombed by a bunch of different writers from different beats. and. Elliot was getting swarmed by Green Bay writers from his background there. He got so many random Green Bay questions, but that's kind of the new ethos that he wants is he was talking about the Packer way and like what that is and that that's drafting, developing, and then extending your core guys and like reinvesting in them. So I think that Unwenu is a perfect candidate for that as is Duggar, but in just like, it's funny, there was, Karen, in your call when we wrote this, there was a, a lot of GM speak from him in here. Yeah. But if you're reading between the lines, it really does seem like extending those core guys is something that he's prioritizing. And so I think it makes all the sense in the world to bring Mike back.
2: Yeah. And, you know, it was interesting. We we did also, when you were talking about core values, you know, we heard a lot about culture and uh, him wanting to uh, kind of get, get away from the, and again... He called it the hard ass vibe Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's been prevalent uh, uh, with the Patriots under Bill Belichick's regime. So I thought that was interesting. And I mean, I don't think he's he's projecting having a soft team. He's just projecting a better environment for players to work in.
1: And I think that that comment on Twitter today is caught. A, he's caught a lot of flack on Twitter. I don't know you your yeah. my Twitter. My mentions on Twitter are just a dumpster fire with people sort of dumping on Elliot Wolf for that comment. Mm-hmm. But I'll say this, and I don't think people will like to hear this: people inside Gillette Stadium did not always enjoy working for Bill Belichick and the Patriots. They weren't always having fun. Mm-hmm. Now, when you're winning championships, you'll you'll take it right. It's like winning. Winning is fun. Winning breeds, you know, success fixes a lot of problems. Over the last four years, the Patriots weren't doing that. And there were issues, I would say, from all different levels. And that you had issues with some of the coaches. You had issues with players. You had issues with scouts. People didn't always feel respected. And I I know I use the word fun and people hate that. But, like, people weren't always having fun. I don't think they always enjoyed working for Bill Belichick, even though he's the greatest coach of all time. So when Elliot Wolf says something like that, I think he's really referring to uh, creating environment. an environment creating an environment that people want to be in and people were a place where people want to work and it
0: goes beyond you know the six Super Bowl banners. And obviously that that's that says a lot of Bill, but you know, there's there's other elements to that. It definitely does. And I mean, you know, I started on the beat in 2019. Since I've started, this has not been a functional team. And it's like I understand it's
2: your fault. <laughs> I know
0: a- Angela Death over here. I know, I know. But like I understand the six championships before that, all of the winning and everything, but recent history has not been kind to them. So, you know, I kind of understand where Elliot's coming from, but it really stuck out to me that, like, he's not afraid to speak his mind, you know, and that is, that's become very clear. And I think you're seeing that in a lot of these new hires that they're willing and they're open to, you know, discussing how they actually feel about things. And Elliot's going to say something like that, that's going to like blow up on Twitter. People are going to push back, but honestly, at the end of the day, Probably right. And and how about he he's asked about, you
1: know, how how do you fix this team? What's what's sort of your philosophy? And he immediately goes into the offense. And And I want to read this quote because quote, in terms of physical skills, we need to weaponize the offense. We need to be faster and more explosive on defense, height, weight, speed, playmaking ability. There will definitely be an emphasis on those things. He's telling us what they want to do, guys. It's very clear. The Patriots offense tied for last in scoring last year in the NFL. You know, that's never happened. And I looked it up in Patriots franchise history. The worst they had, I believe, was 28th in scoring in 1990. They, were, they won one game that year, by the way, but they still weren't last in the league. So, but Elliot Wolf comes out and says, we need to weaponize the offense. Like, my ear, like, perked up. I was like, wow, it's kind of surprising and also refreshing to have that type of honesty.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I mean, I think that sometimes, like, weapons discussions can get hackneyed, you know, yeah. and all that. But here it's true. Like, they need more explosive players And yeah, they weren't just the worst offense in the league this year. They were tied for last. They were tied for the worst scoring offense of the last decade at 13.9 points per game. That's not
1: good. And
0: like they ended up tied because Carolina was also horrendous this year with Bryce Young. But that's like how bad it's been. And yeah, they need playmakers. And I mean, having a guy in charge that is well aware of that and seems cognizant of like what he needs to do to get them.
2: He's also well aware of what the Patriots are. Current Currently. Yeah. I thought he was very. I mean, I asked him the question what his hopes for or, you know, what he would deem a successful season for the Patriots in 2024. And he didn't come out. Oh, yeah. Super Bowl. I mean, he was He he said, look, they hope to contend for the playoffs, but mostly they're hoping like to just improve. They're hoping to get better in all phases. And that's kind of where you are with a 4-13 and team, like it or not, especially one that is so devoid of talent on the offensive side of the ball. It was, it, it was honest and, you know, realistic, which, again, we haven't experienced very often uh, the Patriots general manager or brain trust you know talking like this in this kind of way put
1: it in perspective we learned today the Patriots have been in contract negotiations with Kyle Duggar and Michael went they're two biggest free agents that's something we would not have learned in years past at the combine
0: agreed and just going back to like his expectations for the year for a successful season it wasn't like contend for a championship it was contend for the playoffs playoff. like to be a playoff team and I think I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I would certainly deem it a successful season if they're back in the playoffs or in the playoff hunt in week 18 and have like a meaningful game. I think that shows that they took a significant step forward from four and 13 in the rock bottom. They've kind of hit this year. They have to work their
1: way up to be that unfortunate seven and nine team, eight and eight, you know, before, you know, we're even sniffing the playoffs. But another thing that was broached today was JC Jackson. For those who don't know. The Patriots can clear around 14.375 million if they release JC Jackson. Now, Elliot that hasn't happened yet, which is a surprise probably to all three of us. We thought it would be one of the first moves, clear the 14 million off the books a couple of weeks <laughs> before free agency and then, you know, work to use that money elsewhere. Elliot Wolf said no decision has been made on that and they're working through different options, which guys, that tells me there's only two options here. You're not keeping JC Jackson for 14 million. It's either cut or restructure. Which way do you think they should go?
2: Cut.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think you I cut agree. him. And yes. then you like, you take that 14 million off the books entirely, because a restructure, you won't clear all 14 million, like I was looking into this. So I think you cut him and then say, if you want to come back for X amount, like, we'd love to have you as a depth guy. And that the thing with JC is like, I don't think his market's going to be there in free agency. And I think he works if he's a player that you're not relying on, you know, where now if you're getting healthy, you have Christian Gonzalez at one boundary, Jonathan Jones, at another boundary. Marcus Jones should be back in the slot where like, okay, if you want to bring JC into that group as a depth piece and like, maybe he plays his way onto the field, but he's not someone that you're counting on to play like 17 games out there all the time. I'd be totally fine with that. But he just can't be someone that you're counting on at this point. Right. Right. And at this point, the Patriots
1: are projected to be in top three in cap space. I'll oh, be honest, guys, yeah. the number between how much cap space the Patriots has and other teams, it's very fluid and it keeps changing. So let's just say this, they have a lot of cap space. If they clear JC Jackson off the roster, it's going to go up over, I believe it's 80 to 90 million, which is really insane, which brings us back to Elliot Wolf's weaponize the offense comment. Yeah. That's a lot of room to work with. Who? How do you weaponize the offense? Like what, what steps Karen do you take? To actually make it a more explosive group. How, how does he go about doing that?
2: Well, either he can uh sign what's left of the you know, the best of the free agent fields wide receivers. I mean, T. Higgins is his franchise. He, he would have been the, the target if you were me. I don't know if there's if if the if the Bengals would uh tag and trade him, but I would explore that. Uh beyond that, I would look to to trade uh you know, make a trade with a team for a high end, uh, wide receiver. I mean, the best of the rest, uh, Michael Pittman's in there, but again, I wouldn't classify him as a game changing type receiver.
0: I would gamble on Calvin Ridley. No pun intended. Um, (laughs) but (laughs) I, I do think that he immediately like would come in and be the best receiver in that room. He's not a bona fide number one, but he's significantly better than anyone that you have on your roster right now. So if you can come to terms with him, he's somebody that I would roll the dice on. I, I didn't mean that second pun, but yeah.
2: <laughs> like
0: I, I I would take a chance on Calvin Ridley, and I think that he significantly bolsters the skill yeah. position. and I'll say this:
1: like Mike Evans is is a great receiver. Mike Evans is probably returning to Tampa Bay. You have Michael Pittman, who is a young receiver. He's twenty six, caught over a thousand yards. But like the, the honest truth about Michael Pittman is. The Colts want him back because they just drafted a quarterback in the first round in Anthony Richardson. So they don't want to let him go. So I agree with you. I think it's Calvin Ridley. If the Jaguars re-sign Calvin Ridley, they owe a second-round pick to the Falcons. And if they lose him in free agency, they only owe a third. I think that sort of plays into the decision. And
2: so- I was just going to interrupt you and say, I think, <laughs> <laughs> I think when it comes to Ridley, money will talk with him. You know, it's like... The Patriots right now wouldn't be the the biggest desirable destination for any of the higher priced guys who are looking for rings and competing and championships and stuff like that. But when it comes to kind of a, you know, bottom of the top end, middle tier, you know, I think money will talk with some of those guys. I also think they should supplement in the draft. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean in the first round, you can get really good receivers in the second and the third round. Yeah. They just have to be able to once and for all identify <laughs> that receiver.
1: Yeah. And I think they should explore the trademark. You said, yeah, you call Cincinnati about boutiques, yeah. but call San Francisco about Brandon. Ayuk. there's been weird rumors about him that he wants out. And, mm-hmm. you know, could you, what, what would it take to land? Brandon, Ayuk? truthfully, guys, it'd probably be a future first round pick. He's in his prime. He has one year left in his contract. Do you trade a 2022? T- Five first-round pick for Brandon Ayuk. I think that's really risky. I mean, are you, here's another question: Would you trade your second-round pick this year
0: for someone like T. Higgins or Brandon Ayuk? Is, would that be worth it? It's just so tough because with either of those guys, you're immediately gonna have to pay him. So, yeah. like, I think T. Higgins, I would do that because I believe in him as a player more than Brandon Ayuk at this point. Ayuk could be a tougher sell just because he clearly wants to get paid, and I think that's some of the issue with San Fran. I mean, ultimately, I think I would still do that. But I mean Higgins definitely a slam dunk. Like, don't yeah. don't even ask that don't have to ask me twice about that one. And in, in terms of weapons, weaponizing offense, we we also
1: there's also a tight end. And, and like the unfortunate truth for the Patriots is the free agent class isn't strong. It's Dalton Schultz and Hunter Henry, who's your own guy. So like, yeah, maybe you bring in Dalton Schultz, who might be a slight upgrade. And if we really want to get Chris Mason angry, Karen, we can talk about someone like Austin Eckler. Would he weaponize the offense as a, a running back like that, a, a counterpart to Ramondre
0: Stevenson? no
2: (laughs) yeah well they do need a third down back i'm sorry i'm gonna jump on that jump on that horse
0: and you know what they should do for a third round draft
2: or third third round back
0: is draft that kid from unh or something like that you can find a third down back late in the draft you should not overpay for one in free agency even though i know (laughs) mark that's how you weaponize an offense hey austin eckler man he'd be like another receiver on the field
2: no comment
0: (laughs) (laughs) all right well thanks for listening guys we'll be here at the combine all week we'll keep pumping these podcasts out and we'll catch you further on down the trail
1: this has been Ion on
2: foxborough brought to you by mass live